You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I invite you to take your Bible and look at 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning, starting at verse number 8. And it fell on a day when Elijah passed to Shunem. Now, just so that we're all on the same page, this morning in our geography, Shunem, this village or city, um, was in a location originally given to Issachar, one of the 12 tribes, one of the 12 sons of um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And um, this was part of his inheritance. So it comes to the tribe of Issachar, Shunem is the name of it. And here Elijah passes by here. There was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And it was so that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither and turned into the chamber and lay there. So here's a story of a great woman of great wealth who for no other reason other than that Elijah is the prophet of God decides then to build this little room for him and care for him as he makes his circuit through that area. Verse 12, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said unto him, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful or kind for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the, certain, or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And what she says in essence there is, listen, I need nothing. I'm okay. I am fine. Don't need a thing. Verse 14. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. Okay? Translation is, she didn't have a baby, her husband's 50. And this is, it, there, she is barren. There is no chance for her to have a child. She is not getting one. Verse number 16. And he, Elijah said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God. Do not lie unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elijah had said unto her, according to the time of life. Let's just stop here for a moment before we continue. Um, I, I know that as we've gone through the Old Testament, you are well aware that there are themes and patterns and doctrines that reoccur over and over again. And there's a reason for that. And one theme that we've seen in the Old Testament and in the New is that the barren woman brings forth a son. We see it in the life of uh, Rebecca, Rachel, Samson's mother, Hannah, and in the New Testament, Elizabeth. 
all barren women who had no prospect of a child, and yet God blesses them, and they bring forth a son. And here we have that theme again. The difference is this, that in all the women I mentioned before, this Shunammite woman, all of those children had something to do with the promise of Abraham, the children of Israel, and what God had promised to them, or they were men who grew up to be great leaders, judges, or prophets in Israel. Not this one. The truth is, in the story, we don't know the name of this woman, we don't know the name of her husband, we don't know the name of this child, and in all likelihood, he grew up, he farmed his father's land, and he died. That's it. And the point I want to make this morning in just this section is simply this, that sometimes the God of heaven gives a gift simply because he wants to make a woman happy. It's true. There's no reason other than he wants to make this woman happy. Sometimes it's far simpler than we can imagine. It is only the gospel according to the serpent that makes God out to be stingy, manipulative, and a killjoy. And this morning, it might be a good idea every now and then to reflect on the goodness of our God and the good gifts that we receive. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. He loads us daily with blessing. And so this woman receives a gift for no reason. He is not instrumental to Israel's history. He's not going to be a great prophet, a great judge. He's going to farm and then die. Farmers, that's what it is. You're going to farm until you can't farm anymore and die. But he gives this gift to this woman. Now, verse number 18. And the fact is, I really struggle with these four verses. I was going to preach an entire message on these four verses. And, and, and maybe you'll know why in a moment after talking about the good gift. Verse number 18. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day when he went out to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to a lad, the father, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. It's... We just see this great gift by God, and now there's this inconsistency with God. It's like, wait a minute, God, you gave this gift, you lifted up this woman. Did you just do that to crush her? One writer says about this text, it's as if God in his inconsistency goes from mercy to malice. You gave me a good gift, and now it's gone. Can I tell you something? I've been this long enough to know that there are times in life when something really great happens in our Christian life and we're given a gift and we rejoice and then something happens where it doesn't turn out the way that we thought it would. You ever been there before? And it seems as if God somehow is inconsistent in his giving. And I want you to know something. For all of us, if you've never been there, you will be there. And it will be perplexing. 
And what this woman does is this. She runs back to the very God who has perplexed her. She has nowhere else to cling. And so let me just say again in passing, because this is not the main point, but tuck this in your pocket, because in our lives there will be times when we look to God and it seems like, oh God, wait a minute, you are inconsistent here. And there's not an answer for it. But we must run back to the God who perplexes us. We must be like the disciples where Jesus said, after multitudes were leaving, you going to? Are you taking off? Are you leaving? Is this the end of the journey for you? And Peter, by the Spirit of God, says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And my friend, when God seems to perplex us, and we think he is inconsistent in the giving, it is then we must cling to the very God who does perplex us. There is no other place to go. He has the words of eternal life. So I'm not going to preach on that this morning. Let's continue. Verse number 25. She runs off to the prophet of God. She doesn't tell her husband a word. She gets on a donkey, makes a beeline. She travels 18, about 18 miles to Mount Carmel. Verse number 25. So she went and came into the man of God to Mount Carmel. It came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say to her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with a child? And she answered, Is well. That's weird. That's really, we read that, it is not well. But she is clinging to her God and saying, it's well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. (laughs) This is really a strange story. Here is one of the greatest prophets in Israel, Moses, Elijah, and then Elijah, who does double the miracles recorded that Elijah did. And this woman comes, and he says, hey, here she comes. Find out if everything's okay. She says, it's fine. She comes in, and he says, listen, I had no idea the Lord hid this from me. He is limited in his knowledge, which is a good reminder. All of God's servants are limited in their knowledge. There are things in life that the pastor, your spouse, the seasoned saint will not know. They cannot know. Elijah did not know. We must remember that it is only Christ who is adequate with the answer. And that's why it's okay to say to people, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Why? I don't know. It's far better for believers to say when answering the question, I don't know, than to give platitudes and cliches that are nonsense. Sometimes it's best just to say, I don't know. Because we are limited. Elijah 
was limited. All of God's servants are limited. Verse number 28. And here we hear the brokenness of this woman. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Hey, Elijah, I didn't ask for this. I told you, don't lie to me. I received a son, and now he's gone. She is broken. Verse 29 through about 31, Elijah says to his servant, take my staff, don't talk to anyone, go straight to the house, take the staff and put it on the face of this child. And he does it. The woman does not leave Elijah. She stays. I'm not going anywhere. The staff doesn't work. The child is still dead. Verse number 32. And when Elijah was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself again. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. You say, so what's going on there? Why did he do that? What's that about? I don't know. I don't know. I think there might be something about symbolizing, let my life, like this life, come back to this child, but it doesn't matter. And don't go off on a rabbit trail. Well, he sneezed seven times. That must be the seven. That's the spirit of God. No. He prayed, God heals this child. Verse 36. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when he was come into him, and when she was coming to him, he said, Take up thy son. And she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. And this is our story this morning. Um, I said earlier that in the Bible we have these types, um, we have these prototypes, these patterns, and here we have the, the second resurrection recorded in the Old Testament. I think there's only three, one by Elijah, and then this one by Elijah, and one more by Elijah to follow. And the point is this, that death will not have the final say. That as this little boy was raised from the dead, all someday will be raised from the dead. Do you know the theme of resurrection is the theme of Christianity? It is the gospel that one has come, that he died, was buried, and three days later he rose again with my freedom in hand and conquered sin, death, and the grave. It's resurrection, and that's what we proclaim this morning. And the reminder here is that all of us, no matter who you are, will be raised again on that final day, if not sooner, by the coming of Christ. Now, Let me just spend the rest of our time this morning talking about what was read as our text this morning from Luke chapter 7. Because already I think you're seeing some kind of connection here, but there's more than you could imagine. In Luke chapter 7, we have an event of Jesus Christ some 800 and about 50 years later from what we just read a moment ago with Elijah. Look at Luke chapter 7 this morning, starting at verse number 11. 
And it came to pass the day after that he, this is Jesus now, went into a city called Nain. Now, just to help us with our geography this morning, Nain, Nain is a city, a town, or a village in the area of the tribe of Issachar. Sound familiar, Issachar? Right? One of the 12 sons of Jacob. This was his inheritance. This was Lot, his lot. Nain is actually on a mountainous area called Mount Morith. All right? And Nain sits on the north side of this sort of mountain area. You say, okay, thanks for the geography. That's wonderful. What does it matter? Well, here's why it matters. Shunin that we, the Shunamite woman in Shunan that we just mentioned sits on the south side of the same mountain. And so the event that we just read that happened 850 plus years before Christ got there, the miracle of a raising of a son, Jesus 800 plus years later will go to the same area and do the same thing but in a different way. And I want you to see that this morning. So here we go. Luke chapter 7, verse number 11. We continue there. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. So get the scene. He comes back to this area. He's followed by this entourage of people. And they're coming to the, the city gates. They're, they're the crowd of the master. Verse number 12. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And so here we have Jesus being followed by the crowd of his disciples. Outside the city at this very moment is a crowd of people who are in misery. And listen, this is not an accident. Providentially, Christ meets this woman who is a widow woman, and now coming out of this city is a a funeral procession of her only son. Now listen to me. We in our life, Kim and I, have gone through miscarriages. It's a loss of a child. A a child. uh, Should I start on the abortion thing this morning? Yeah, I probably should. Canadian, listen to me. I know you're all bent out of shape about New York, and we ought to be. But do you know something? New York's just following us. Because we have no laws to protect a baby into the third trimester. None. And do you know where we rate as a nation? Where we rate as a nation in caring for the unborn is equivalent to only three other countries in the world. Here's who they are. Vietnam. China. And North Korea. So, before you get on your high horse talking about the travesty of New York City, it is here in our land. And we are slaughtering babies over and over again. It's a loss. And we should be ashamed of ourselves. And we should mourn. Life is life. And if anyone in the world should get it, it should be the believer this morning. So, the loss of a miscarriage is the loss of a child. And the debate this morning is not about women's rights. It's about human life. The right, it's, is that baby 
a human being with a heartbeat. It, it, it's a human being. And so here's a woman who's suffered a loss. We understand that. But I can't fathom this morning what some of you fathom. The loss of a child that you've raised, that you've held on to, that you've buried. And I know there are people in this room that you've done that. You've buried your children. And I can't fathom. But now listen to me. This is her only child. This, this is the only child. Right? This child was doted upon. This, this child, um, there was no rivalry. There weren't even hand-me-downs. You know, the only child. And now she's leaving the city in this procession, and she is grieved. She is without her only child. And she's a widow, which means that when her husband died, her son comforted her. And now he's gone. Which means she has no one to comfort her. She has no one to support her. And in this providential meeting, Christ and his entourage meets with this entourage of misery, and they collide at a gate. Notice from our last story that Elijah, he had to learn of this woman's plight. He had no idea what was going on in her heart and mind. He could only acknowledge that this woman was grieving and in pain and misery. That's not Jesus. Jesus was fully aware of the plight. Providentially, he meets this woman at the gate, and not only does he acknowledge her, look at verse number 12, 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Jesus comes providentially. He's already perceived what's happening. He knows and he acknowledges. But here's what he does. Elijah acknowledged the woman. He had no idea, didn't perceive, acknowledged. Jesus providentially meets her, acknowledges, but then he does something which is absurd. He says to her, weep not. Weep not. The tense of that verb in the Greek is the present imperative, which means it's a command to do something in the future with continual action. Literally means stop it. Stop weeping. Now. Uh, Okay, so... As a pastor, um, it never ceases to amaze me that people cease to amaze me and say the dumbest things in the world. I mean, I can't tell you how many dumb things I have heard said at funerals. I mean, it's like it's, you hear it and you cringe because someone actually said that at a funeral, Right? Could you imagine going to a funeral and just walking in and saying, stop it. Stop it right now. It's absurd. That's actually something that our parents would say to us growing up that still didn't make any sense. If you crying, crying, 
You want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. I, I was talking to Kim about this point. And I said, isn't it funny that we grow up in houses and we hear those things. My dad said it to me all the time. And I said to Kim, have I ever said that to our boys? She said, Rick, you said that thousands of times. <laughs> you stop it or I'll give you something to cry about. Now, you young people, don't be so haughty this morning. Because you will say the same things. And let me just go off a rabbit trail here for just for a moment. Um, your parents, like my kids' parents, made stupid mistakes. No one comes out of childhood unscathed. Nobody. But here's the danger in our world today, that we have kids growing up who completely throw out everything their parents did and are trying this new stuff that will not work. Right? There are things your parents did that were wrong. There are things I did with my kids that were wrong. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Christian families this morning raise young people who love Christ, who have character, integrity, work hard, and who are not entitled to everything. We are raising a generation of kids who are going to fail miserably when they hit the real world. So, I'll give you something to cry about. right? This is what's said. It's like, this, Lord, is absurd. Can you imagine the gasp of the crowds as they converge at the gate that Jesus shows up to this funeral procession and says to this woman who just lost her only kid, stop it. It's absurd. Unless the one saying stop it has the power to deal with the cause of her weeping, the death of her son. Otherwise, this is absurd. And the reason it's not is because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And he does have the power to say, stop it. It's okay. I'm going to deal with the reason that you are weeping. Verse number 14. And he came and touched the bier, the, the coffin, and they that bore him stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. Again, in our story with Elijah that happened 850 plus years prior to this, Elijah did not perceive, he could acknowledge, and all he could do was pray, not Jesus. He providentially meets this woman where she's at. He says something completely absurd. (laughs) Stop it. But then he makes his proclamation. Arise. I say to this young man, get up. And I want you to notice, he didn't call on anyone else's name through anyone else's power. It is by his own divine power that Jesus says to this young man, get up. And guess what happens? He gets up. The power of Jesus Christ. Not even death can put us out of the reach of Christ's power or beyond the sound of his voice. Verse number 15. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. There are scenes that I would like to see from the Bible. This is one of them. Could you imagine 
being in the crowd, and Jesus saying, stop crying, and you're thinking, what in the world? And then he says, arise, and, and they come, and, she, and, and the, the, the boy is raised to life, and the, the mother who had lost her son is now rejoicing and embracing him, and, and then embracing Jesus, and it says he spoke, and I, I wonder what he said. Hi, Mom. Weird. I, 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 he said something. I would love to see the scene. And we can speculate, but there's no sense, because we don't know what was said, we don't know what's done, but we do know what followed this. So we might as well work on what we know. Verse number 16. And there came a fear on all. A fear on all. Why? Because they knew they were in the presence of deity. Church of Jesus Christ, listen to me. We have lost our holy fear. I understand God is love. I thank him for it. I understand that we have a Savior who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But do you know something? We worship the God of heaven and earth. We worship the God who spoke this world into existence. We worship the God whose voice will raise the living and the dead. We worship a God who someday will be the judge of the living and dead. They see this, they fear. Number two, it says they glorify God. After this, right, They glorify God. After 400 years of silence, Israel says, wait a minute, it's happened. God has visited his people. And verse number 17, and this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. They spread the good news. There is one who is the resurrection and life who raises the dead to life. So this morning, Let me just close with three points from the text and what we've studied thus far. Number one, in light of what we've read, you and I must call on Christ in our physical and spiritual affliction. The doctor couldn't help this woman's son or heal her spirit. This is a lesson I've been learning over the years especially this year. My words do not have the power to change anyone's life. I've been preaching for 28 years now. I I can't change your life. I cannot heal your heart. I cannot fix your brokenness. And the church of Jesus Christ, listen to me, we have got to cry out to the only one who can. The one who does not break the bruised reed, who does not quench the smoking flax, who binds up the brokenhearted, who sets the prisoner free, who takes our mourning and turns it into joy, who gives us beauty out of our ashes. That is the one that the church of Jesus Christ needs to cry out in all of our affliction, spiritual and physical. Oh God, Jesus Christ, help me. We need his help. And this morning, listen to me, believer, We need his help. He is the first place we ought to be going. I I thank God for the body of Christ. A beautiful thing. When the church is done right, it is the nearest thing to heaven. And I thank God for this place. I, I thank God for this place. But you listen to me. The first person you ought to run through to in trials and difficulties is not the pastor or the elder or deacon or a friend. It ought to be Jesus Christ. 
Because he's the only one that can help you, my brother. He's the only one that can heal you, my sister. It's Christ. We must call upon Christ. Number two, we must cling to the eternal. We must hold things of this world loosely. The wealth of this woman could not hold her son, and the widow could not hold her son. And listen to me. The dearest comforts that we enjoy today may become our dearest sorrows. You can't hold it, man. You can't. And I know right now, right, you're, you're 15, you're 17, you're 18, you're 20, and maybe 30, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to live forever. Now, you, don't, you wouldn't say that, but you, you live like that. But this is all there is. Wait till you turn 50. And then it's like, I ain't going to live forever. I don't want to live forever. And you start losing people in your life that you love, and you start seeing tragedies, and you start knowing that everything on this planet that is not eternal is passing away. It's passing away. All of it. And we as God's people are clinging to the things that just don't matter. They just don't matter. C.S. Lewis made this quote. He said, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. And that's the truth. 150 years from now, no one in this room will be here. No one. A year from now, some of us will not be here. Two years, ten years. We must cling to that which is eternal. It's the only thing that lasts. And we have a world that clamors for our attention. More and bigger and better and brighter and grab it and get it and can it and keep it. You can't. So stop. Stop it. We are running after the wind. And we have these stupid collections of, when I was a kid, I had a beer can collection. It's your pastor. A beer can collection. And my family produced lots of cans. <laughs> lots of cans. Right? And I just thought, this is a great thing. It was so stupid how an 11, 10, 11-year-old boy would think, this is a great deal. How foolish. And it is. And we all acknowledge, Rick, that's really stupid. Right? What's your collection? Retirement fund? I'm not against this thing. Bigger house, better car. Yeah. But can I tell you something? Just like the beer can collection, it's gone. It will all be gone. We must cling to the eternal. And then finally this morning, <clears throat> number three, we must consider our own resurrection. The story of this little boy that's raised... In 840 B.C. is a reminder telling us that all will be raised. Jesus raising this woman's son is a reminder that all will be raised. My friend this morning, our souls live forever. Forever. You will be raised again. This is not the end. 
And the Bible says there are only two places recorded. It is heaven and it is hell. There is no purgatory. There is no reincarnation. There is no being absorbed into the universe. There is no even dying like a dog and that's the end of it. You, my friend, are a living soul. And that soul will live forever in one of two places. You will be raised. If you're lost this morning without Christ, you will be raised for destruction. Everybody wants to talk about heaven. There's a country song that says, everyone wants to talk about heaven, but no one wants to go there tonight. Where are you country people at? Oh, we don't listen. Yeah, you do. I know you do. <laughs> Everyone wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to go tonight. I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who do- Oh, yes. Thank you for honest people. Yeah. And that's our, yeah. Everyone's talking about heaven. Everyone wants to go to heaven. But listen to me. All dogs don't go to heaven. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. It's exclusive, but inclusive. Because anyone who comes and repents and says, Jesus Christ, you are the Savior. You are who you said you were. I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I deserve separation. I deserve hell, but you paid the price. Why the cross? If your good works and your religion and your just good guy and good girl can make it, why would Jesus bear the wrath of Almighty God against sin if you're such a great person this morning? Well, that's that's not the case. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned our own way. We've all sinned. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Christ died for you, my friend. He died for you. And don't have this, I'm going to do that someday. Your someday may not come. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Christ today, call on the name of the Lord. Repent. Jesus, save me. And follow him as your Lord and Savior. You will be raised. The lost to everlasting destruction. The saved to everlasting life. And so this morning you say, okay, that was great. Appreciate the little text on the resurrection. We got that. Wonderful. But how is this going to help me where the rubber meets the road tomorrow morning? Now, it's Sunday. I'm going to go on and do my thing. No, that's not the case. This truth will help us where the rubber meets the road, number one. It helps me with my priorities. We've got to stop and think. We're all going the way of the grave. We will be raised for the saved to life everlasting. What are my priorities? Christian. I'm not talking about Christian. What are you living for? What are you living for? And the only thing that's going to last is a living soul and the kingdom of Christ. So that means in light of this resurrection, my priorities ought to change. And listen to me. We all get wrapped up in this, all of us. Our blessings have become our curse. We have it all. So it helps me with my priorities. Number two, it helps me with my pain. Can I tell you something? Some of our people, you have hard lives. Really hard lives. You have real struggles. 
you have real physical, emotional, relational pain. And this thought that, that tells me, the truth that tells me, Christ, you rose again, and I will follow suit, helps me with the pain I experience now. D.A. Carson said this. I love this quote. He said, there's nothing in my life that a good resurrection cannot fix. Right? And we weep and we mourn and we struggle and we're discouraged. But in my pain, when I know this is where I am going, I can endure for one more day. I can be okay for today because this is not the end. The future is as bright as the promises of God. And finally, it helps me in my praise that I am never out of the reach of the power of Christ or beyond the sound of his voice. And so I praise him. I praise him that I serve a God that came and walked among us, who fulfilled God's law completely and perfectly, who died in my place and said, no man takes my life from me. I will lay it down and I'll pick it back up again. And all who come after me, though they die, they will live. And so this morning, we praise the risen Christ who had power over death, hell, and the grave and promises people that just as I rose bodily, not spiritually, bodily, you too will follow suit with a new body and a new creation. And so this morning, let us remember the idea and the truth of resurrection. It helps us with our priorities. It helps us in our pain. And it helps us in our praise. Let's pray this morning.